morning. Christ, ha- oh, wait, sorry, that's Easter. Uh, Merry Christmas. That's, that's what I say, Merry Christmas. Uh, so glad that you uh, joined us today. Uh, and welcome to everyone online as well. Um, so glad that you are with us as well. Uh, Christmas is a time where we recognize and, and remember the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago when he came as a man. And also we anticipate his second coming because he's not still in a manger. He's, he's a king and he's, he's, he's in heaven and he's coming back again. So, so there will be another coming of Jesus. And Christmas is the time where we, where we consider and remember that he is coming. And so I'm going to talk about that just a little bit today. I want to uh, just honor my dad. Thank you, dad, for your faithfulness and, um, uh, to this church for 40 years. And my mom, thank you so much for your leadership. Uh, we appreciate you. We love you guys. Uh, okay, so we have in our New Testament, we have four Gospels. The Gospels, all four of them, tell the same story, the story of Jesus, Jesus here on earth. But they tell it in very different ways, and they, they change some of the information. Um, but, but they go together, you see, because they, they go together because they're, they're saying something, like, like they're intending to communicate something different to who they're talking to. It's kind of like, like right now, it's Christmas time. When I talk with my wife about Christmas... It's very different than the way I talk to my kids about Christmas. I'm still talking about Christmas, but conversations about Christmas when I talk with my wife are about, uh, you know, how much money are we going to spend on gifts, and does she need my help decorating something, or how the star I put at the top is crooked. Um, But when I talk to my kids about Christmas, it's about about Jesus. And, you know, we get to give. I'm, I'm giving them very, it's a very different conversation, but I'm still talking about Christmas. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the same way. They're all talking about the life of Jesus here on earth, but they're coming at it from very different angles, so it seems like, like, like four totally different stories, but they're not totally different stories. It's the same story of Jesus coming to this earth, his life, his death, burial, resurrection, and now, now we can follow him today. Uh, all four are written to a different person. See, Matthew, the book of Matthew, was written uh, for Jewish believers, so at that time, there's a lot of Jews who had converted to Christianity. They decided they were going to believe in, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so, so he starts out in Matthew. At the very beginning of Matthew, he gives the pedigree of how Jesus was actually a Jew. He gives the whole genealogy. I just want to make sure you guys understand Jesus was a Jew. Uh, when Mark wrote it, uh, the, uh, Mark and Peter were kind of in cahoots. And uh, so they were writing this story in the Gospel of Mark according to what they saw. They, like, like they were eyewitnesses, Peter especially. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus. And so they wrote what they saw. And so they didn't see the birth. They didn't, Peter didn't follow Jesus until there was like John the Baptist. So the gospel of Mark begins with um, John the Baptist, because that's what, that's what they saw. The gospel of Luke telling the story of Jesus. And Luke, what he's intending to do is to give a very accurate account of the life of Jesus. So he goes into great detail. When you hear the stories of, uh, of Christmas time, you know, the shepherds, the, the whole Herod did this, and that's the gospel of Luke. Luke gives us all the details because he was intending to give us an accurate uh, account, a play-by-play of exactly what happened when Jesus came to earth. John does not assume that his readers uh, know much about Jesus. It's, it's more of an evangelistic gospel. John is writing to Jews who are familiar with the idea of the Messiah, 
like, like, oh, there's a Messiah. Like, like they know about the Messiah, but they, ha- they don't really know anything about Jesus. And so he starts, when he starts his gospel in John chapter one, he, he's coming at it from the way that they, the people that he was writing to initially would have understood it, the Jews. So, uh, if you've got your Bible, would you open up to John 1, 1? This is the Christmas story according to John. This is how the life of Jesus on the earth began. This is what John thought was the right way to begin it. In the beginning, so right at the verse 1, 1, or chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. That's going to be abundantly clear by the time, by the time we're done reading this passage. But that Word is Jesus. That's kind of... Uh, let me just tell you this story. So um, my son, Caleb, is learning how to read right now. Hi, Caleb. Yeah, he's waving at everybody. Uh, he's learning how to read right now, and we have a few very simple books, three, le- three four-letter words, and he can read the whole thing. He's got to sound out the words, and some of them he's just, he's just saying. So he, we were reading a book together the other night about Pete the Cat. Anyone ever heard of Pete the Cat? It's a pretty popular series. Pete the Cat. And so I point to Pete, and he says, Pete. I point to the, and he says, the. I point to cat, and he says, cat. Cat. Pete the Cat. And in this book that we were reading... Uh, it was a story about how Pete the cat wanted a fish because fish are fun. And, uh, and, and, and in this book, Pete discovers there's a sentence that goes, but the fish was not fun. And so I point to the words, and, and Caleb sounds out the first one. But, but. Good. And I point to the next one, and he says, the. And I said, I point to the next one, and he says, fish. And then he He's reading it, but uh, the fish. And he turns to me and he says, Dad, that's a, that's a funny name for a fish. <laughs> Pete the cat. It's a funny name for a fish. And we sat there and we, we giggled for a good 30 seconds. And I thought about that when I started reading the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's a funny name for Jesus. If if John wanted to be super clear, he should have just said, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. But that's not the words he used. He used a funny word for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Why did he use that word? Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jews who don't understand anything about Jesus yet, but they understand the Jewish faith. They know the idea of the Messiah. They're familiar with the idea of a Messiah. They just don't know Jesus is it. So John's trying to present this. For the Jews, the word of God in the Old Testament, the word of God was God's revelation of himself to, to the people, to, to, his, to, his, uh, to his creation. The word was creation. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. He spoke it. He didn't go make light. He spoke light. The word was the revelation of God to man. Um, God said, he revealed himself to Moses. He said, I am. 
It was, it was the word, I am. He was revealing himself to his, to his people. Even in salvation, by providing the Old Testament law, it was God's word, the Old Testament law that provided salvation. It was his word that was his revelation to his people. So John, when John chooses this word, in the beginning was the word with a capital W. I just said W like my dad. With a capital W, sorry, something happens with this stage. You start saying W and uh, washed in the blood. It's this microphone. I love you, Dad. <laughs> so when John decides to use the word word to refer to Jesus, he's not trying to be cryptic. He's trying to help the people that he was first writing to understand. In the beginning... In the very beginning, this Messiah that I'm going to tell you about, he was there. In the very, very beginning, he was there. Let's keep reading. John 1, 1. I'll start over. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has ever been made. Verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome or understood it. Here's number one if you're taking notes. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He was there at the very beginning. Christmas is not about the start of Jesus. That's important for us to get. Christmas was not when Jesus started. He always was. In the very beginning. Not the beginning of the New Testament, but in the beginning of beginning. Before there was anything, Jesus was there. Colossians says it like this, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, everybody say everything, everything. he might have the supremacy. Yes. He might have the preeminence. Jesus is king. At Christmas time, we remember Jesus coming. But let's be careful. I don't want us to remember Jesus the baby. Let's remember Jesus coming, not Jesus the baby. We don't remember Jesus the baby at the expense of forgetting who Jesus was and the understanding of what that means for us today. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. king. I've heard about this movie. Um, I don't know if I'm going to say it right. Talladega Nights. Um, I've heard it's incredibly stupid. Uh, and Will Ferrell's in it. Those things go together often. <laughs> and there's, there's this part when he says grace and he prays. Um, and he prays and he says, oh, dear, sweet baby Jesus, with your six-pound, eight-ounce infant baby Jesus powers, please heal my uncle. And the, the people at his family say, no, he was a man. He grew up. He had a beard. And he stops. He says, well, I'm saying grace. And if I want to pray to the end, I like infant baby Jesus the best. I like the Christmas version of Jesus the best. So if I want to pray to the Christmas infant baby, baby Jesus, when I say grace, I'll, I'll pray to that Jesus. If you want to pray to the teenage Jesus or the adult Jesus, you can do that when you pray grace. Okay, don't, I hope you don't get your theology from O'Farrell. That's really wrong. When you pray, you pray to King Jesus. Yes. Amen. King. 
Jesus. Is he, this king, is he your Abba Father? Yes. Is he your daddy? Yes. Is he a loving father who disciplines when necessary? Yes. Is he a, is he a just God? Yes. Can you tell him, are you a friend of God? If you obey him, yes. Can you tell him anything that's on your heart? Yes. But an equal truth, he is king. Jesus is king. And as a, as a king, you know, when I think of king, I think of like authority and, you know, leadership. Let's not let our, our Americanism because whenever we read the Bible, we have to remember that like, when we come to, to our faith, we all have baggage. We have, we have baggage of the way we understand things. Some baggage is good and helpful. Some baggage is not good. And, and it helps us get confused. In America, when we think about leadership at the highest level, they got there because people voted for them. So who's really in charge? Ultimately, people. Not so with a king. When I say Jesus is king, he's not some king that works for us. He's a king that, that serves us. He's a good king. He died for us. But he's king. He's king. He's king over all presidents, all rulers, all nations, all planets and galaxies. Over a, maybe, there's, maybe there's life on other planets. I don't know. He's king there too. He's king over a kingdom greater than anything we can fathom. As big as you fathom, Jesus is king over bigger, something bigger than that. He has preeminence and supremacy. And the, but at the same time, the king cares deeply about your life. Yes. Every detail. What would it look like if this idea of Jesus is king... Do you believe that Jesus is king? I hope you do. What would it look like if that was true? It is true. He is king. But what would it look like if he was king over your life? If that were true, what would your life look like? What would it look like if Jesus were indeed the king over, insert your name. What would it look like if Jesus were indeed the king over Adam Deal? I think it would look like Jesus being the ruler, the decider, the, uh, the shot caller, the director, the says it and I do it with full devotion, king. I think it would look like surrendering every aspect of my life to the king, my time, my job, my finances, listen, when my wife and I tithe, the first 10% of everything we earn comes to the storehouse, which is the church. I don't pick and choose where it goes. I don't say what can be done with it. Why? Because it's my tithe. I don't have a right to choose. I feel I don't have a right to choose what happens with it. It's not mine to choose. I have a king. The king chooses. It's not for me to, to, to pick. It's not even mine. None of it is. God just lets me use it. He's king. My skills would be surrendered to the king if Jesus were king over every aspect of my life. Surrendering everything to the king. But that's hard. 
I want to do something a little bit different this morning. You're sitting in little clusters, little groups. Uh, you have family, you have little groups. We're going to split up into small groups. Hey, oh, you're already split up into small groups. You're, you're sitting in them. Or if you're sitting by yourself, you can have a moment of personal reflection. Those of you online, can, uh, your group can be the online group in the public chat. But I want us to take about 60 seconds and talk with someone next to you and answer this question. Why is it so hard to have a king? Take 60 seconds, answer that question, talk about it. Why is it so hard to have a king? Ready, set, go. All right, all right, all right. I imagine some of you said something to the effect of it's hard to, be a ki- it's hard to, to have a king because we like to control, right? Uh, b- bottom line is we're pretty selfish in some ways. Anybody not selfish? I mean, I, I just don't believe it. We're all selfish in one way or another. We like to be in control. Some of the people online said, um, I'll read just a couple. Uh, we want to be in charge. Jim and Cindy said that. We want to be in charge. Um, uh, Mary says, we as humans have free will and we sometimes feel that our decisions are correct. If we pray and don't listen to the little voice that directs us, we're not listening to God being in charge. That's true, Mary. Thank you. Uh, Karine says, <laughs> she doesn't want anybody ruling over her. <laughs> I get it, Karine. You're right. I don't want anybody ruling over me. But, but as a Christian, that's how it works. As an American, I don't want any king to be over subjection to me. You know, that's, that's how we started, by giving the king the old boot. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, I just started pl- think, imagining the Hamilton guy. I'll be back. Sorry. <laughs> ADD, man. Our country got started because we wanted to give the king the boot. We don't want to be under subjection to a king. But as Christians, listen, we're under subjection to a king. It's King Jesus. When you see the itty-bitty baby, remember that. King. King. And I'm okay with that. I've tried things my way. It doesn't work out as well. So I'm better off with someone else ruling over me. If he's good, if he's just, if he's right, and Jesus is always right, I would make a mess of my life without him. 
Have you relinquished control over your life to Jesus yet? Have you relinquished control? Maybe, in, maybe you all have in different varying degrees, but have you fully relinquished control over your life to Jesus, to the king? Your business decisions? If Jesus guides you differently, would you, would you make a different decision? Your, your family decisions? Your, your giving decisions? Your marriage or relationship decisions? Are those in line with, with Jesus? Have you relinquished control over your life to him? How about the whether or not to sin decision? That's a, that's a big one. Let's put all of those under the king. Let's put all of those under the king. If you've not done that, if you've not relinquished control over your life totally to the king yet, today is a really good day to respond to the Christmas story. Respond to Jesus by getting things back in order. I'm going to give you a chance to do that in a few minutes. Let's keep reading in John chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the, the world was made through him, the world did not recognize or understand him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, let me start over in verse 12. Yet to all who did what? To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of not, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of husband's will, but, but born of, of God. Here's number two. The king came for you. The king came for you. The king came to save us so that we could be his kids, knowing full well that he would be rejected. He came in. He came anyway to save us. Jesus, the king, King Jesus, is a just judge and the best ruler, but he didn't come to lord it over us. He could lord his lordship over us if he wanted to. It would be an honor to be considered a slave of God, but he did better than that. And he opened the kingdom to us so that we can be called the children of God. I think of my children. What's mine is theirs. They have access to anything I have. We're the kids of God. We're the king's kids. We have access to the things of God. What a great mystery this is. The king came for us. I want to do some review for a lot of us, but, but for some of us, it may be the very first time we've heard this, and I want to make sure we all get this. We need to understand how this works in the correct order. Not everyone is a child of God, okay? Not everyone is a child of God. It's everyone that can be a child of God. See, see I, I made you say it. To those who received him, to those that call on his name, he lets them be called children of God. I want to make sure, if you're not a child of God already, I want to make sure you understand how to get there. There's a few verses I want to show. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody's perfect. And God can't be near sin, so that, that creates the separation between us and God. We're, we're separated because of, because of sin. It's not, because, not just because you've done something wrong, but because really we're born into sin. It's the default position. 
We start life separated. All have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. The next verse, Romans 6.23, I believe. When you sin, you, the pay you get is death. But God gives you the gift of eternal life. That's because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. This itty bitty baby we remember at Christmas time. What he did when he grew up changed everything. We deserve death. When, you, when you're a sinner, you deserve death. But Jesus absorbed the blow upon, upon himself. Not just because, like, like, like it has nothing to do with how good you are or how, how bad you are. That we're all separated from God. No, no exceptions. And Jesus paid the penalty for all. In fact, in, fact, in fact, he did it for all. Romans 5, 8 says this. While we were still sinners, I think, yep. God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, knowing full well you're a stinker, Christ died for you. He knew it. So it doesn't, being good enough doesn't get you there. Being bad can't keep you away. Jesus died for you. But, so, so how do I accept Jesus in my current state, how do I let earth receive her king? How can I receive a king where I am? Here it is, Romans 10, 13. says it like this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. You receive Jesus in your life. You accept him. You let him be your king. He gets to call the shots. And that begins your, your life with Jesus. If you've not done that today, I'm going to give you a chance in a few minutes uh, to do that too. Um, because Jesus came for you. Christmas, yeah, he came, but he came for, on purpose for you. Good preaching, Pastor Adam. Keep it up. Thank you. You don't have to accept him for him to still have come for you. But you do have to accept him, follow him, allow him to be your king, to be saved. This is the message and meaning of Christmas. God, the king, came for you. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross to absorb the blow of sin, which was death. He absorbed the blow that we deserved. He absorbed it on himself, even though he, he wasn't guilty. He was buried and he came back to life, conquering the power of sin and hell, and now we can follow this king. As I was preparing, I felt like someone would be asking the question, what can I do? To, like, can I actually come to God? How do I come to God? Like, like, do you know how bad I've been? How can I come to God? Good news. You hardly have to, knowing full well all your failures, all your sins. He came to you. He came to you, he came to save you. But we still need to be a wise man and seek him. We still need to be a shepherd and worship him. There's still action on our part to, to pursue Jesus. But he came for you first. He took the first move. He's just expecting us to respond. And that is the gospel message. The Christmas story demands our life's attention and focus upon the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word 
became flesh. Think about how huge that is. If you're writing to, to people that understood God in the Old Testament and that's all they knew, like we're reading this, like we've heard the Christmas story before. Like, like, so so we, we have that insight. But the people reading this are realizing for the, perhaps the first time the revelation of God, the word, the creator of the universe, present when Saturn began to spin and the rings that went around it, the person that spun those rings around in a circle, became flesh? He became like, like us? What a great mystery. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. His dwelling. The, the Jews would have understood this. Let me give, you, give it to you. Point number three. Go ahead and put it up. The king wants to be with you. The king wants to be with you. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If you think, think through what the Jews went through, they all knew, they rehearsed it every year. There was this story of, of the Jews in the wilderness and the presence of God lived in a tent. There was the tabernacle and the presence of God was there. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Talking about Jesus, Jesus did it now because he wants to live with us. He wants to identify with us in a more personal way. The king wants to be with you. When I think of a king, you know, like from books I read to my kids and so forth, Disney ideas, a king is usually a far and distant old guy with a long beard that lives up in a castle somewhere, inaccessible, you can't get to him. If you approach him, you know, you gotta, you gotta get all dressed up and cleaned up before, before you come before the king. It's a little different with Jesus. In fact, 1 John chapter 5 says this. Let's read it together. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence. Everybody say confidence. confidence. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. We can have confidence in approaching God. Next verse. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God wants us to approach him. God wants to listen to us. We're never a bother to him. He wants us to have enough confidence to approach him. And that's the message of Christmas. That this king has come. And he came for you. And he wants to be with you. Tangibly present. Dwelling with us. It's why he came as a man and why today we have a Holy Spirit that is tangibly with us. He came not as a celestial being, but as a human because he wants to be with us. This is the great news and all we need to do is align our lives with it. Would you stand with me? Where are you right now? four types of people that can hear me. Maybe you're thinking, uh, this is interesting. Jesus is an interesting idea. I'm not ready for it. Okay. If that's that's you, if you're here, if you're watching online, 
I'm glad you're here. Keep searching. Keep, keep showing up. I'll see you next week. Uh, don't give up. I'm really glad you're here. I really am. Maybe you're here and, and you've never made Jesus your king, ever. Not once. Uh, today, today's the time. You, you, you logged on. You, you came here. You're at least looking for something. Uh, today's the day. Today's the day. If you're ready to make a move today and let Jesus be your king, you've never done it before, and you're ready to say, I want to follow Jesus, would you, would you shoot your hand up online? There's a spot in the public chat where you can click and say, yeah, I'm in. I want to receive Jesus. Make him my king for the first time. Just shoot your hand up. It's a sign to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray for any hands raised, any hearts that are leading towards you. You'd meet them right where they are as they surrender to you, Lord. If, you're, if, if your hand's up, uh, say this prayer in your heart. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. I'm lost without you. Thank you for paying my price for sin. I'm gonna believe that you did that and I'm gonna trust you and declare that you are Lord. You are king. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So those are the first two types of people that can hear me. There's two more. Some of you can hear me, and you've made Jesus your king before. But you step back in. You're, you're king over some parts again. There was a time where you were closer with Jesus than you are now. And, and you realize, you know what? I, I want to be closer to Jesus than I am now. I want to be, I want to be closer. I want to, I want to go back to, back to that. You may need to, to recommit. No shame in that. Goodness. Every day we should recommit our lives to Jesus. Yes, I will follow him. If that's you, both online and in the room, would you shoot your hand up? I'm going to make Jesus my king again. You've done it before, but you know you need to do it again. Shoot your hand up right now. Lord, we trust you, we commit you to you, our lives, and we surrender everything to you, Lord. Thank you for being our king again. Amen. God's gonna give you the power to follow through. I believe that. When we surrender to him, that's what happens. The fourth type of person in the room is people who uh, you would say you're doing fine, great. You're affirming that Jesus is your king. Unless he's your king, you're not doing fine. Unless he's your king in every area, you're not doing fine. Maybe that's you. You're just reaffirming, or I guess right now as we sing this next song, you're going to affirm that Jesus is indeed your king. Lord, we trust you. We declare that you are good. And you are the king. We praise you now.